Awesome. Good morning. Happy Easter. Wait, sorry. Christmas. Sorry. It's Christmas, isn't it? Um, Christmas is that time of year where everybody comes out and has their little pithy, like, uh, hey, this is the meaning of Christmas thing, like their little nugget. And, it, you know, it, it all, they all, the pundits come out, you know, the celebrities come out, they all put their two cents in. And so there's a couple uh, I want to show you. Um, here's one, Bob Hope from a while. Christmas is about loving people. Hey, that's what Christmas, or Jay-Z said this. He said, um, Christmas is about being happy. That's what Christmas is. It's about being happy. Um, Or Taylor Swift, she said this. She said, Christmas is that feeling you get when you realize that the boyfriend you just broke up with was really trouble from the start anyway. And um, you see, if you put quotations around something, it sounds legit. But actually, she didn't say that. But it sounds real, doesn't it? And... um, Here's the thing, though. Like, everybody has their little kind of like, hey, this is what Christmas is about. Whether that's really true or not, it just is, it's a sentimental, nice feeling. And, and this is a 30, this is a, 2015 was a 30-year anniversary of a song that I think, although it wasn't about Christmas per se, I think it epitomizes kind of everybody's view about humanity and Chris, Christmas. And I just want to show you a few clips from this song. Uh, you might recognize it 30 years ago. Let's, let's go ahead and show that. Get you, doesn't it? I could, I could see it. Some of you are old enough to remember. I mean, tears are in your eye. I mean, you're like, we are the world. And usually, uh, outside of fashion, I, I think the I think the '80s are awesome. I mean, fashion was a train wreck. But outside of that, I think like the '80s could do no wrong. But I just, I'm sorry, but this this song, this song is not just kind of. Um, a little bit different than the, than the Christmas message. It's diametrically opposed to the Christmas message. Um, it's, by the way, if you're new here and you're trying to track like, you know, with us, and you're like, hey, is this the place? If you like sports, if you like the 1980s, if you like making fun of minivans, skinny jeans, and Taylor Swift, then, hey, welcome home. You're, you're, <laughs> you're, like, you're like where you need to be. And so, but... This, this message, although it's like, it, it has, it's, it like epitomizes this, this, this vague Christmas spirit that everyone wants to kind of throw their, their two cents into. Like, this is what it's about. It's, it's about you and I coming together, realizing the, our potential, realizing what we can do. But Christmas is, is so opposed to that. In fact, 30 years ago, 
again, this is the 30-year anniversary of that song, and they asked, they asked Bob Dylan, like, hey, why'd you look so uncomfortable there on stage? And he's like, well, don't I always look uncomfortable on stage? He said, uh, he, said the reason, he said, the reason why I look so uncomfortable on stage is because I don't believe that. Mankind can't save itself. If you want to know the true meaning of Christmas, which I know that you all want to, is that you, you have to start with this reality, that mankind cannot save itself. Because the context of this, this verse, and some of our most beloved verses, and even some of our most beloved songs, I mean, I hear people comment like on the Hallelujah Chorus. I, I heard someone in, in the post-dispatch, he said, you know, how could you not listen to the Hallelujah Chorus and just be full of optimism? Well, do you know if you like actually read the verses, they're about revelation. They're about Jesus being like dipped in blood. And, and I mean, it's like fierce conflict stuff. But the, the message of Christ, the context of this verse that we just read that, you know, you know here, comes a, here comes Jesus, for, for unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. It's this nice thing. But in the context of this, Israel was, is a very dark period, very dark. They were experiencing extreme economic hardship. Uh, there was famine in land. They, they were, they felt, uh, they had, you know, Rome, um, and uh, not Rome at the time, but just other people just had them, there was all kinds of political um, hardship. They were looking for answers. They were looking for answers among the intellectuals, the philosophers. But it, as we read in that verse, the more they looked uh, to the earth, the more that they looked into themselves, the darker the situation got. And so I'm just going to, th- like, I'm going to throw my little two cents on the heap of one million or so, uh, meaning of Christmas, little statements you had. If you want to, this is, this is what Christmas is all about. You, to understand Christmas, to understand what it really is, you have to start with this idea. That the world is a dark place. Now, on one hand, Christmas is this message of unparalleled hope and peace and love and joy. And we'll get to that part. But it's telling us that something's wrong with the world. Some, it's telling us that something's wrong with our heart. It's telling us that something's wrong with our mind. And, it, and it's sobering and, quite frankly, insulting. Because in this text, like I said, it was a dark place, and they went looking for solutions among the mystics and amongst the astrologers. And, you know, people do that today. They look amongst, you know, the, the, the fortune tellers, the mystics, astrologers. Um, but also, uh, Paul will tell us, if you kind of move on in the Bible and you read out the New Testament, Paul would say, you know, the Greeks, they're, they're looking for answers in wisdom. They're looking for answers in uh, uh, the intellect. They weren't looking to mysticism. It was about the mind. So they educated themselves. And they were waiting for some great mind to come along, some great solution, some idea that would solve all of our psychological and sociological problems. And so they built universities. And they, they said, let's get educated and let's, let's, let's grow the mind. And that's the way we're going to do it. Now, the religiousness of the, the Jews, they, they weren't like the Greeks or the mystics. They weren't looking for a solution um, uh, from them, but they were, looking for, they were looking for political and military freedom. And so they were looking to a military leader. They were looking for a political leader that would come and, and save them. And the people in this passage, uh, they were looking uh, to the mystics, but they're also saying, hey, we need to look into ourselves. We need to look to the earth. We need to look at the God consciousness in all of us. You know, we, the power is within us. We just need to tap into it. We are the world. We are the children. We can make a brighter place. But as they began to look into themselves, they began to look into the earth, what they found, it got darker and darker and darker. And our world is the same. Everybody has a solution. The economists have a solution. Uh, the politicians have a solution. The educators, mystics. And their solutions are presented to us with a great deal of idealism and hope. Are they not? But it, I don't know if you pay attention to history, but th- th- those are tired ideas. 
They're about five or six millennia years old. And they are not making our world a brighter place. I mean, I, I, man, I so this week, I, I mean, I, me and my wife, we, we watched that clip. I mean, we watched documentary. I mean, we love that stuff. I mean, the We Are the World, I mean, it's awesome. Um, but you know what? It didn't make a difference. Africa is still where it is, where it was. We are still where we are, where we were. We, we've not, we're not advancing. It's not getting brighter. It's not getting better. We are not making our world brighter. We're making it darker. Bertrand Russell was an early 20th century philosopher who wrote a book titled, Why I'm Not a Christian. I happen to own the book. Um, and you've probably never been to a church before where they said, hey, here's a book to read, Why I'm Not a Christian. Um, but there's some things to glean from that, which I want to show you. He says this, if there is no God, then consider the logic of your position. Don't try to squirm out of it by singing Christmas carols. Don't do it. Even with cute little kids. If there is no God, then we are an accident. We are chance creatures. We are a result of the accidental collision of molecules. But unfortunately, we have evolved into creatures of self-consciousness or self-awareness. And because we are aware of ourselves, we somehow think that we are more noble than rocks and trees. But there is no basis for such a feeling. And so we are here with our consciousness, and our consciousness is a result of a meaningless process. Therefore, our conscience is meaningless, but alas... I say alas to prove that I didn't come up with this. But alas, we feel significant. Therefore, he goes on to say, the only logical solution is to build your life on the foundation of unyielding despair. Merry Christmas. (laughs) I bring you good tidings of unyielding despair. And so, but you have to understand that what he's saying here is that the only way to see life as it is with logic and reason, with you know, he did it all, he worked it all out, is to admit that it's dark and there's no hope for it and that your conscience, your sense of decency and love and compassion come from a meaningless process of evolution. So to search for hope in this world is illogical, dumb, and futile. And the scriptures and the true meaning of Christmas would absolutely agree with that. Check that out. This is... You, you maybe weren't tracking mentally when this was read, but in, in the chapter 8, says this. It says, Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land, and when they are famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward will curse their God and their king. They will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will um, burst through utter darkness. But check out verse 9. Sorry, chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless. Dark, dark, dark. Nevertheless. Always gets darkest before the dawn. The world is full of pain and suffering, nevertheless. Christmas and Christianity says that the world is just as bad as the most pessimistic person says they are. That's what Christmas says. It says the world is as bad as the most pessimistic person or analyst says they are, but nevertheless, a light has dawned. Christianity is honest about the situation. It doesn't, it doesn't want to just like, it doesn't, it doesn't just say, hey, there's a silver lining to every cloud and let's just, it's not into sentimentality and let's just kind of like glaze over like the real problems of the world. Let's just be happy. It doesn't do that. Christmas and Christianity faces reality, but it has a nevertheless. A nevertheless. A light 
has come. It's not some crutch, crutch trying to prop you up with sentimentality. It's honest, realistic. It says the world is dark, but it says never because Jesus, Jesus has done everything that Christmas has said he has done. And apart from this truth and reality that Jesus coming to earth, um, there is every person this morning who's willing to face reality. Every person willing to face reality can see that without Jesus, there is, there is some outside force. I won't even get you to admit that it has to be Jesus, but some outside force has to break in or there is no hope. Now, you can mask that. You can bury yourself in work. You can bury yourself in a, in a hobby. You can medicate it. You can drink it away. In this sad reality, in this great season of just positive feelings, is, is, the, is when suicide is the highest. Not because people get out of touch with reality. It's because people get into touch with reality. The ones who just kind of mask it with just, you know, I'm, you're, you know, you're a winner. You can do it. You can change the world. You're better. That's a masking of reality. So what do you do? Like when you, if you take away the, the mask, if you take away the, you know, the, the, you know, put on the Christmas cheer, if you take that all away and you're left with that, what are you going to do? Well, one is, like I said, you can deny the darkness. You can deny reality. Or you can embrace it. But if you do that, how are you going to hold it together? The reality is the, the world that we live in uh, is not chipper. It's not bright. It is dark. But the Christian has a nevertheless that causes us to sing joy to the world, not because there's a sale at Macy's, not because we got a Christmas bonus, But because 2,000 years ago, on a quiet night in Bethlehem, light dawned on our world. Now, here's here's the thing. Now, that is something that happened outside of you. That is something that happened in history 2,000 years ago. What that means is, like, history doesn't need you to validate history for it to be true. So that that happened. So light did do that. Now, here's a question. How does that reality become personal to you? Meaning, like, how do you experience the benefit of that reality? How can, you, how can you be honest with the way the world is and take an honest look at what actually brings about real progress and not go totally and not build your life on the foundation of unyielding despair, as Mr. Russell suggests? How do we have this light invader world? Well, notice it's a light that appears. It's not developed. It doesn't happen when we finally realize that the, that the light is in us, that this light isn't developed. It's discovered. This light is beyond us and it, to save us, and it has to be. It's God intervening. It's God interrupting our situation. It's, it says here, it says that the people who walked in darkness have discovered, they have seen a great light. They've discovered it. They haven't developed it. They haven't ignited it. They haven't kind of kindled it up. They discovered it. And in verse 6, which is the famous one, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. Salvation is a gift. P- things like peace, joy, hope, those things right there, those things are a gift too. You, you, if, you, you, if you go like chasing hope, chasing peace, chasing, it's like chasing the east. It's like you're, you're never going to 
<laughs> that you're just going to keep running and running and running and running in circles and circles and circles. Those are things that are given to us. They're gifts. Then nevertheless comes into our lives when we realize that the answer is not within us, but it's without us. And we bow a knee and say thank you. So why do people reject it? If it's just like, hey, you know, joy and peace, you can have it, here it is, it's a gift. Why, why, don't, we, why don't we just receive that? Why don't more people just receive that? Why don't you receive it? Well, the best part of Christianity, the best part of this message is why we don't receive it. The best part is, uh, or one of the best parts, I should say, is that God came to us in not strength, but weakness. He came to us as a child, and he came to us as a child in Galilee. Now, um, Galilee, just a frame of reference for you, I mean, it was just like a know-nothing place. I mean, if you just think about, like, what is, like, the least amazing place you can think of, say it that way, the I said, uh, I gave us a suggestion a week ago, and I got in trouble. So just in your mind, just I won't mention a name, just imagine what that place could possibly be, what you think is like the armpit of, you know, the world. This is, this is Nazareth. In fact, that's one of the reasons why in Jesus' day they couldn't accept him, because he said, you know, this carpenter's son? Oh, you mean from, can anything good come from Nazareth? Which is in LA. Can anything good come from Nazareth? No, of course not. He's, you know, he's not who he is. He came to us in a... He was born in a manger. He's born in a feeding trough. He was born as a baby. He didn't come in strength. He came in weakness. And he was born in like the worst possible place. Not great ideas. Great leaders don't come from Bethlehem, Nazareth, Galilee. They don't come from there. They come from Rome. They come from Jerusalem. They come from Paris, London, New York. The shepherds, the ones invited into, the first ones invited to his birthday party, test, their testimony was totally unreliable. It was inadmissible in court. They were that low. Why did God do it this way? Well, one of the things the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament writings, he says that, that God uses the weak things to shame the strong, and he uses the foolish things to shame the wise. And here's, here's the reason why, this is the best part of Christian, but this is why many people reject it. It's why maybe you're rejecting it. It is an attack on your ego. It's an attack on our ego. It's why Bertrand Russell can say that without the presence of a supernatural God, there is no hope, but then choose to live his life on the foundation of unyielding despair rather than bow his knee. It's an attack on our ego. But here's why it's the best part. The reason why it's the best part is because this message of joy, peace, and hope, it reaches anyone and everyone. It doesn't matter how hopeless your case is. You know, everybody's writing each other off. You know, whether it's like a football team or a, um, you know, or, you know, a kid in school or a business or whatever it is. Oh, they'll never do it. They can never reach that. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you're experiencing that. Oh, that'll never change. This is saying, look, hey, God came in such weakness. He came in such brokenness, to, if anything, just to demonstrate that nobody is beyond hope. God goes to the most hopeless situation. God favors the broken. And so the reason why we reject is because it takes so much humility to go there. It's an attack on our ego. But if you have received this, so on one hand, it's, it's saying that there's this darkness and despair at Christmas about, but it's also this message of unparalleled hope because it talks about this buoyant joy. Can we show verse three? 
It says, it says, they rejoice before you. So this is the one, these are the people who receive the great light. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing plunder. So, har- so this is an agricultural society. There's two like major points where people just go crazy. Like, you know, they go, bon- they go bonkers. They, they, so they spend their whole year investing, 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 investing. There's a six-week period where they reap the harvest. And they're like, yes. Or the other time, is when, when they go defeat another nation and they take all their stuff. They take their, you know, computers, iPad, gold, silver, all that kind of stuff. So they, they take all their stuff. And so what, what he's saying is like, hey, look, I just want you to know that, it's, that this world is so much worse than you could possibly. It is dark, 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 dark. And there's nothing you can do about it. You have no hope. No hope. But nevertheless, a light has shone. And if you receive this light, you will have the kind of joy that people have during harvest time. And you will have the kind of joy that people have when they're taking each other's stuff, but kind of in a nice way, like a good way. And so like you will have that kind of joy if you receive this light. And I just want to say, I want to say to those who are not yet Christians, I want to say to those who are Christians, that I want us to understand that this, there's, a, there's a darkness in the world that we've been saved from. But if you've received Christ, it means that you can live in buoyant joy. Not, not negating reality. Not by just trying to build yourself up with just like sentimentality. And, but you can build yourself up with real joy because a light has shown. Which means that you can, you can be way more hopeful than you're being. It says of Jesus that he had a joy beyond his peers. That you can walk in, a, in an authentic joy. Not masking the pain, not addressing the real pain and suffering in the world, but you can live with a real joy because the light has shone. You can live as though you're in this season of just harvest, in this season of where just, you know, all, this, all these free things are coming your way. You can live that way. And some of you are just hoping to survive the world. Let me tell you something. If you believe the true message of Christmas, you won't just survive the world, but you can change the world with the message that has shone into our world with light that's given us hope, peace, and joy. Now let me conclude with this thought. John, the Apostle John, I'll, I'm going to show you this here in a second. Let me tell you something about when this was written. This was written 80 years after the birth of Jesus. So Jesus was, he grew up to be a man, performed miracles, died on the cross, uh, rose from the dead, ascended to be with the Father. The church got started with like 120 people. It just went crazy. Thousands and thousands and thousands were added um, and within, by 80 AD for sure, uh, the message had gone from Jerusalem to more than 1,500 miles away to, to Rome without motorized transportation or any of that kind of stuff. It, just was, it was just flying. This message was just, people were receiving it so much. And, um, but there was also just great persecution, just extreme persecution. And, uh, and people were trying to snuff out this message and snuff out this message. And, and John, the Apostle John, uh, he finds himself on the uh, island of Patmos. And he's, he's beginning to write some things. And uh, so you have John the Apostle, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John who saw it all, who heard it all, who saw him perform the miracles, who heard all of his teachings, who was there. He peeked into the empty tomb. He was there when he ascended uh, into heaven. He watched everything. And he was trying to summarize, and here's what he said. And this is why you need to pay attention to the message of Christmas. If you haven't been paying attention, this is why you need to pay attention. That thing in your soul, in your mind, that every once in a while kind of like elbows your conscience. 
this kind of like, you know, kind of live in your world, but every once in a while you kind of feel this like nudge in your conscience. Um, it may be why you're here today, because you felt that, that nudge. You're not really taking it seriously, but let me tell you why you should take it very, very seriously. John says this. In him, this is, no, he says something past tense. This is important. I'll tell you one in a second. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. All mankind. This is for the noble wise men. This is for the shepherds. This is for the somebodies. This is for the nobodies. This is for the rich, poor, black, white. It's for all mankind. Now he pauses and he moves from the past tense to the present tense of what he had seen, what he had heard, and what he had believed to send you and I a message. So he says, in him was life, and, in, and that life was the light of all mankind. And then he pauses and he says, and that light shines right now. It shines. See, so this is a very dark time. I mean, he was on an island just getting ready to die, basically. And he says, the light shines right now in 80 AD. The light shines now in 2015. And then he says this, he says this, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not blown it out. And there are people, especially in his day, who have tried to blow this out. Maybe people have tried to blow it out in your life, or maybe you've tried to blow it out in other people's lives. But the light still Shines and everybody who has tried to blow it out has become nothing more than a footnote in history. But check this out Jesus, this little baby, the feeding trough that he was born in, and the trash heap he died on is more famous than all the presidents, all the Caesars, all the kings, all the pharaohs combined. This little baby. This one in his day says, what could anything come from Nazareth? And people push him aside. It's intellect. It's this. It's that. It's my. It's economics. But this light shined 2,000 years ago and it continues to shine today. And the darkness cannot and will not and has not blown it out. Let me ask you something. What about you? I mean, you can check out a reality and stay chipper. I mean, you can, you can find stuff to keep busy. You could try family, do, do the family thing. You could try relationships, do the relational thing. You could try hobbies, do the hobby thing, do work, whatever it is. You can try. You can, you can medicate it. You can, you can search. For, you can deny reality. You can embrace reality and go the path of unyielding despair. Or you can have your life punctuated with a nevertheless. You can admit, yes, this is a dark place and every attempt by humankind makes it darker. But nevertheless, a light has shone and a light continues to shine. And I believe in that and I want to receive it today. Is that where you're at today? Are you ready to receive this light? It takes some, it takes some humility to receive a gift like this. Every gift does. I mean, if somebody was to give you a book on dieting. Oh, thank you. Did, yeah, I know I'm fat, but you, thank you for this book. 
or maybe a book on how to win friends and influence people. Oh, thank you. I'm fat and obnoxious. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I need these things. My wife, no joke, three, a few years ago, um, somebody gave me a book titled How to Make People Like You in 90 Seconds. And I showed it to my wife, Rachel. I said, can you believe this? Can you believe that somebody gave me this book? Like, what, what, how do I respond to this? She says, I think you should read the book. So... Um, <laughs> It takes, it, takes, it takes a degree of humility to receive a gift. Let me tell you something. There, there, is, there is no gift that takes more humility to receive than the gift of salvation. You know why? Because you have to admit that not just the world, but your world and your heart is a dark place. You have to admit that. And Jesus really wants to help us. That's why it says in Philippians, the greatest one. He was, he's a king of kings, Lord and Lord he, in heaven. He descended and became a baby. Not in a palace. Not in the middle of comfort. But in a feeding trough. And he died on a trash heap. He died a criminal's murder for you and I. His, let me say it this way. His greatness was defined in how far he descended. Let me tell you, if you want to be great, if you want peace, if you want joy, if you want this gift that everyone tries to go after, nobody achieves, if you want this gift, it'll be just like Jesus. Your greatness won't be defined in how far you ascend in education and politics and economics or business or anything like that, in your relationships and your hobbies. It's not in how far you ascend. It's not how you look deep, deep, deep within you. For the winner in you, let's bring people together. Let's do that. It's not in how far you ascend. It's in how far you will descend. Are you willing? See, Jesus didn't just, he just, didn't, he just wasn't, he just didn't die, but he, he didn't just risk his life. He gave his life for us to show us this is the path to true greatness. This is the path to ultimate peace. This is the path to ultimate joy. This is the path to ultimate hope. And it's a gift, but you got to receive it and to receive a gift, you have to admit that you need it. Are you ready for that? Let me invite the, the, the band up. They're going-